developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hello friends, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is Dr. Adina Blickstein. Dr. Blickstein is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her power, passion, and creativity. Today we're going to talk about childhood trauma and how conscious parenting can reverse and prevent this. But let's back up for just a second and learn a little bit more about Dr. Blickstein. Dr. Blickstein is a medical doctor and also has a a MPH. She is a licensed clinical child and adult psychiatrist, business leader, and educational child advocate. She works with empowered parents who are seeking to optimize mental health and well-being of themselves and their children, who desire authentic connections with their partners and kids, yet they feel blocked. Parents who she works with want expert guidance with someone who can understand when a child needs medication and psychiatric services versus when a child, when a family needs an educational change or family therapeutic intervention. Her parent clients are also ready and willing to heal and invest in their own growth and transformation as individuals on a healing journey. Her services include uh, parenting training, screen addiction counseling, educational consulting, and medication management. She offers home visits and referrals to her amazing team of conscious providers. As a result, her clients feel secure, grounded, and confident in their parenting, which helps them enjoy their role as parents and enjoy their children. So I'm just uh, really happy to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Blickstein. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so I have many questions, especially as we're moving out of this pandemic and and uh, so many things happen there. But but let's start with, you know, how did you really get involved in this kind of work? So I trained um, in psychiatry and I knew I wanted to work with children. So I went on to complete a fellowship in child adolescent psychiatry. And I was treating children in the midst of COVID and the suicide rate and the unfortunate rise in completed suicides and attempted suicides uh, caused me to experience PTSD when I graduated my fellowship program. And I realized that there was such an enormous impact of COVID on the mental health of children that I as a provider was experiencing 
firsthand in, in treating them. And at the time, I was a single mom with two young children of my own. And that experience really fueled in me a determination to change our systems because I realized that children are the recipient of really the, the stressors of their environment. And it's really up to us as adults to create environments that are meeting the children's needs. Um, right. For example, the educational environment was basically kind of fell apart during COVID. And I think that was a big reason that a lot of children became so depressed. And I basically built a company with the idea to empower the people that serve children, such as teachers, pediatricians, and parents, because that's how we create healthy children. So it's a much more holistic approach than the standard traditional psychiatric child-focused management approach. Could I take you back for just a minute? Because thank you for sharing so openly. Uh, You know, you mentioned that you experienced your own PTSD. Uh, I imagine you had to get some treatment for yourself in in getting you back on track and help so that you could help others. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I was really burnt out when I graduated and I was unsure as to whether I could continue to do this kind of work just because of the trauma I had been exposed to. But with the support of, you know, medical and mental health providers, I got myself back and realized that I really wanted to work more on the preventative side and not be in the ICUs, uh, you know, after suicide attempts or in the inpatient units. And I realized that I needed to shift, you know, where I felt best, um, com- most comfortable and where I had the most impact within the field. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, I know from my own experience treating kids with vision and learning problems, we are now seeing some of the results of those two or three years of poor education, not blaming anybody, just, you know, the result of not either having school or not being able to do the online programs well. And, you know, now I'm seeing kids several years behind and all through this, we're, we're treating the visual problems and they've been on screens too long. We'll talk about that later, but tell us what, you know, what, what are still some of the issues that are facing kids from Mm -hmm. this impact, uh, especially from the pandemic? Yeah, so I'm seeing a lot of OCD, uh, contamination related, a lot of illness, anxiety. Um, I think a lot of children now are not relating to their parents or friends in the same way. I think there, many children are addicted to the screens which kind of impedes their social development. So I'm seeing a lot of social anxiety-related disorders, um, difficulty in kids going back to school or socializing IRL, which is in real life. Um, A lot of children are much more comfortable behind the screen and texting, and I think it's a struggle um, to get them more engaged 
eye contact is difficult. Social engagement is very challenging for a lot of children, more so than before. Right. It, it was a problem already. I mean, all the things you listed <clears throat> for years, I, I had been seeing as well with so many of my patients. But I think the pandemic was like uh, putting everything on steroids as far as uh, the magnitude that that it hit so many of these kiddos. Um, mm-hmm. So so let's talk a little bit about the screen addiction, because, again, we would advise from a visual standpoint that kids shouldn't be on a screen until maybe age three. And then you limit the time and all of just from the visual health, not even thinking about the mental health, you know, all of those recommendations, you know, just got thrown in the trash when everybody was forced on screens. So, you know, talk about from your perspective, screen addiction and what that means and, and Mm -hmm. what that just not um, tying kids up, but what that physically does to our kids. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to differentiate screens between standing screens and mobile screens because the device in which children watch is really, really important in terms of how risky it is from an addiction perspective. So the more immobile a device, the healthier it is. So a a standing television, for example, is less prone to addiction than a laptop, which is less prone to addiction than an iPhone, for example. So when I advise parents about screen addiction, I always take an inventory of the devices in the home and whether something's standing or mobile. Because we've seen statistically that the more mobile a device is, the more it's looked at and utilized. It's much harder for a child to hold a 36-inch standing TV and look through Netflix than it is to swipe through an iPhone with an app. Um, so that's the first distinction that I, that I like to share because I think it is important to approach this issue with a balanced perspective because standing devices like televisions and standing computers are very important. And I think parents need time to relax and veg out. Um, yeah, the problem is when it gets excessive and too accessible. So you're even saying a standing, like a <clears throat> standing computer would be better than a smaller laptop? Well, I, I think different kids have different needs. And I, I think one of the issues is that our schools are delving into technology more and more unless schools are having even notebooks to write. I know my son has an iPad in which he takes the class every day, which was given to him by the school. Uh, there's not even a lot of writing involved. So I, I can't say to parents that children can only have standing computers, but they should be aware that the more mobile and movable a device is, the more prone the child will be to addict, addictive tendencies. Got it. And can you explain um, not just the word addiction, but that there's a real physiological 
shift that mm-hmm. happens in our brains. Talk about talk about the brains. What happens? Uh, what mm-hmm. we think happens when we're on mm-hmm. screens. So there's the idea that when we use something that gives us a hit or a dopamine surge, we will be physiologically addicted to it, um, which means that every time we do that action, we get that high, so to speak. And what qualifies something as an addiction, there's several criteria, although the internet addiction is unfortunately not in the DSM because unfortunately it's been normalized, even though many of us are physiologically addicted to our devices. Um, it's essentially when we don't have what we want, we get we experience withdrawal symptoms, increased irritability, anger, impulse control issues. And unfortunately, I am seeing a lot of children in which the phone is utilized as this reward. And when it's withdrawn, the child does experience increases in irritability, anger, and sometimes overt aggression. And I have seen children actually brought to the inpatient psychiatric hospital due to a fight about the phone or, or a game when it was taken away and the child just could not regulate and potentially became aggressive. Yeah. So I'm not a, not at all surprised by that. Um, are there recommendations? I don't even know what to think now that schools are doing so much of their work on on computers and screens and iPads. And, you know, are the recommendations per age or developmental group is what is a healthy amount of screen time? How do you manage that? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I, it does depend on the distance between the screen and um, a a little toddler holding an iPhone is different than looking at a big screen TV every once in a while. Um, My recommendation is that uh, one shouldn't be given, no child should have an iPhone until they are physically away from the parents and they're independent enough to be physically away from the parents. Well, that's um, great. Yeah. So there's no reason for any child to have a phone when there's n- it's, there's no need for it, so to speak, or when they're not at the age in which they're going to be independently away from the parent. And it varies uh, by child. Um, but we held, my children are 12 and 14, and they did not have phones until the last month. And now they are more independent and they can commute by themselves and see friends by themselves. But we do not allow for any internet on the phone. So there's no social media and there's no YouTube. It's really, really for calling. That's really it. Which is, that's a huge step. I guess my next question as a parent would be, so how do you deal with the uh, the social pressures of everybody else has a phone and they're all on, all on Instagram and, you know, TikTok and all that? How do, you, how do you deal with your kid on that? Well, I think um, it's a conversation with the child and it needs to 
when I do my screen addiction training, it's not my first workshop series because my first workshop series is the parent training because if there's no trust in the relationship, any sort of technological collaboration about device use won't work out because the trust between the parent and child isn't intact. So once the trust is there and there's a flow in the relationship and a mutual respect, then you could transition to how do we negotiate screen time so it benefits us and we have a balance. Because restriction is not balanced. Um, Kimberly Young, who really did a lot of research on internet addiction, created this idea called the digital diet. And we need technology just like we need food, but how do we consume in a balanced way? And balance needs, it's through negotiation always. So for example, with my children, I shared what I was comfortable with and what I wasn't comfortable with. They shared what they were comfortable with and what they weren't comfortable with. And then we came to a a collaborative decision that works for both of us. And basically I, I said, you know, if we have a max of X amount of time per day, we're, we're going to monitor screen time on the app because we can see how much we're going to look at it together. And if you have a, over 30 minutes a day, we're not going to have the phone anymore. And they were in agreement with that. And so, yeah, so we check on it together and they take responsibility. And it's because I've worked for many years in building that trust. Um, and they don't want social media and YouTube because they know what it does to their friends. They, they see right. what, what's happening. But if you're not on the, you know, partnered with your child and you're kind of playing this power struggle, that's when, you know, problems happen. Well, that's such a, an important point, and that's where it starts, and I think that's where a lot of parents that are listening are saying, well, how can I build the trust? And you you discussed how to negotiate, but there's often steps that, that the parents don't know how to negotiate. You know, They don't even know either how to start the conversation or get yeah. out of their own power struggle. You know, yeah. how would you, uh, what kind of recommendations would you have for parents that are in that place? Yeah. So I, that's what I do with my initial trainings. Um, I call it parental mastery. I have three levels, level one, two, and three. Level one is the basics of the parent-child relationship. And I, in my trainings, I incorporate my training as a child adolescent psychiatrist, I incorporate my spiritual teachings of attachment, detachment, and non-attachment, and what that means. And then I bring in parenting effectiveness training and then relational life coaching, different modalities from different different types of therapists. And I put it all together in which I ultimately show parents that power struggles are not necessary. We're not in a relationship to control our child. We are in a relationship that's compassionate, loving, and collaborative and what that looks like. And I think parents have a misconception of what their role is. A lot of parents feel that I call it the narcissistic parent because they are 
outcome dependent, so to speak, where if their child performs well, that, sh- that means they're a good parent. If their child performs poorly, that means they're a bad parent. But that's basing your ideas of parental adequacy on the performance of your child, and that's not fair to the child. Right. And so I teach parents how to pull out of the narcissistic tendencies about how they feel and how competent and confident they feel, irrespective of their child's outcomes. And that actually builds a much more intimate and loving relationship that's more unconditional. And that's what children really need. They just need unconditional love and support and guidance and not like the badgering and the dictating and the control that unfortunately many parents feel is the best way. Of course, people don't come in with that intention. They always intend to support their child, but I see a lot of parents who become very controlling and they feel that that's supportive, but it's not, it doesn't land that way. No, no human being likes to be controlled. I know that. And parents who do that usually hate being controlled themselves, which, you know, makes it makes it that much more difficult. Now you said there were three levels. Is that all three levels together? Is that level one of your program? Um, I kind of gave a broad sense of of um, all the levels and what what the outcomes are, but huh. uh, level one is the basics of what kind of dynamic we're trying to achieve relationally, and then I teach parents how to decode emotionally decode their children, which means um, understand their emotions behind what they say. Um, for example, if a child starts yelling at a parent, the decoding message would be that child is angry. So the response would be, sounds like you're angry. This is an example of decoding. Mm -hmm. So I teach parents how to decode, how to actively listen, how to open up to be vulnerable with their children, which is a really important part of relating. Mm -hmm. Level two is a lot of role play and practicing those skills and bringing up scenarios in which they could have improved the relationship. There's always, you know, incidences that happen during the week. So we workshop them with each other. And level three is pulling in the parenting skills and then also working on the co-parenting skills, which is how parents relate to one another gotcha and how they have a unified approach in their parenting and we found amazing success with the program well this is so exciting uh we're going to need to take a break here in just uh, about 15 seconds and when we get back I'm, i'm interested especially for you to share you know more great suggestions and uh, resources for for our parents that are really want to be great parents but just are lost and don't always know what to do so we'll be back in uh, just a few seconds thanks thank you dr lynn will be right back after this
Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hey, welcome back. We are having a, a great conversation with Dr. Adina Blickstein, who is a licensed child and adolescent psychiatrist, who has been sharing about uh, her treatments and, uh, and her emphasis on uh, prevention rather than see these kids uh, after they've taken such dire means because of uh, emotional and, and physical and, and psychological kinds of issues. She's developed some wonderful programs for parents to help gain the trust and help uh, improve their relationships. So, uh, Dr. Blixton, you talk about family-focused healing, a technology on improving intimacy in families. Tell us what that's all about and why that's so different than traditional psychiatric care. Sure. So what I found in working both in the traditional model is that when a child feels safe, held, and supported, there's really little need for them to be reactive and dysregulated um, because they feel their needs are met. And many psychiatric disorders that begin in childhood, all, all issues usually stem from childhood trauma because that's when our brains develop. 
is because the child is not getting their needs met and they don't know how to express that and they don't know how to get their needs met many times besides for acting out, you know, but maybe it's anger, frustration, or if, if they, if they're too frustrated, they can get depressed because they feel hopeless. And traditional methods of psychiatric care focus on the child and in treating the child through medication or psychotherapy. But the modality that I've developed and practiced in my business is called family-focused healing. Because when I shifted my focus to the parents and getting the parents to really understand the child better and learning how to create that holding environment, all so many of the issues that the child was experiencing just disappeared. Within six yeah. weeks of training, my surveys have shown that childhood anxiety and depression was rated from 10 to 1. And parental frustration also dropped. And parental confidence rose from 1 to 10. So the outcomes with this approach have been more efficient, effective, and we're now gathering data on the sustainability because my hypothesis is that when we train parents, the effects are much longer lasting because they learn to relate in a healthy way that continuously reinforces that loving, supportive environment. And so this modality has shown me to, to be most effective than any other way I've practiced. And that's because I shifted my focus towards supporting the parents in their parenting roles. That's so important. And, you know, intuitively, I think I've known that for years when we've had our patients come in with learning problems and they're often where emotional and anxiety and all these other kinds of issues you're talking about. I always wish that I had some type of mental health provider in my reception area for the parents to be working on mm -hmm. the parents as we're working on the visual skills and processing for the kids. Um, mm -hmm. Because parents would also always, you know, ask us, well, how am I going to manage my kids? And then it became mm -hmm. the kid's problem. And mm -hmm. uh, shifting back to the parents is, I see is such a, uh, an important, and, and I think um, I'm so happy you're seeing the data that, that helps support that as well. If I could mm -hmm. ask you, because you mentioned and this is a question I get from parents all the time, is the role of medication? Because the first jump is usually the medication, sometimes without any other treatments or mental health support. But, oh, the kid's hyper, put them on Ritalin. You know, and even schools mm -hmm. help support that a lot of times. Can you just speak to that, the role of medication and, and when, when you do, when you don't? Mm -hmm. So medication is a collaborative decision, and it's generally a choice. Um, I really work hand in hand with the families. Um, I always assess the child and mention what I would recommend. Um, if it's medication and I think it would be helpful, I'll make that recommendation. If it's meditation, I'll make that recommendation. If it's a change in diet, if it's a change in lifestyle, if it's a change in school. So, so I'll give an example of a patient I had who was very depressed, but it was selective depression, 
because when the child came home, they were fine. But in school every day, they were extremely depressed. And and the, and the mother said, you know, I, I need medication for my child. And I said, I'm totally happy to prescribe medication to alleviate the distress. But my belief is that the child is not getting what he needs in the school he's in. And if we work on finding a better school, I think things will improve. And lo and behold, within a week, an incident happened in the school. The child was pulled out of school and I'm working now with the mother to get a new school. And the child is perfectly fine. He has no symptoms of depression at all. So I, every, every scenario I work with is totally different. Um, I am not, I think, you know, I think I have a balanced approach with medication. I don't pill push and I don't pill withhold. I offer meds if that's something that I feel would be beneficial. And I always work with the families. And if a family doesn't want medication, that's fine. If they want medication, that's fine. Of course, you know, I'll say my, my recommendation. If I feel the child shouldn't be on medication because of side effects and the parents are not um, they want medication, but I don't feel like it's going to help the child particularly. I'll, I'll say that. And I, I won't, I don't want to put the child at risk for side yeah. effects if I really feel that that's the issue, you know? Yeah. Thank you for that. And your example was so great and appropriate. And because I, I see that on both sides of the educational spectrum, where if a kid really has some learning problems, not being addressed, and not getting the help at school, that can create a lot of the emotional uh, distress. But it happens on the other side of the spectrum. I see many gifted kids that have disparities and they often not addressed as well. They're not challenged and remediated. So again, behavior becomes the number one issue. Um, and, And instead of necessarily looking at why the behavior, the symptoms are often address. So I I truly appreciate the collaborative approach on that. Um, Mm -hmm. You must, you know, you are truly saving lives. And, um, you know, what is the most gratifying part of your work? I I love uh, seeing parents and children grow closer with each other. It's such a beautiful experience to see a family that really doesn't enjoy each other and really has a lot of toxic relational tendencies and children are distant and not talking and parents are angry and resentful. And through the work and the training, everyone kind of softening, opening up, communicating, being vulnerable, supporting and loving each other. It is the most beautiful, heartwarming experience for me to have been able to support that because I really believe that the reason we grow up within families is to really teach us how to love. That's what families are for. It's to, for, for us to learn how to be loving humans and that's 
the beautiful part about growing up in a family. Human beings don't grow up, you know, without parents and alone. We grow up within a family unit. And optimizing that family unit and making it an incredible haven for growth and expression is is an incredible thing to experience in, in this lifetime. And then that carries forward, you know, the child knows what it's like to feel loved and supported and they can do that to others and carry that forward. And that's really, you know, special for me. Well, that touches my heart. It's special for me as well. Thank you. So in our last, uh, you know, five or 10 minutes, what are some of the messages you would like to give to parents? Yeah. So I had my own personal journey and coming closer to my children and opening my heart up to them and not passing along the childhood trauma that I experienced to my children. And my growth as a parent, my healing as a human being, my healing of the trauma I experienced and then learning skills to parent has completely changed my children. They're open, they're expressive, they're vulnerable, they're emotional, they're resilient. And that's because of the process I went through. And so the messaging I want to give to parents is the best way to help your child is by learning parenting skills and healing your own childhood trauma. Many parents I meet want to do the best for their child, but a lot of them feel like they have to outsource that work. And I always say to parents, there's a reason your child is your child, and it's because you are the best person for them, you. The more you invest in your parenting, your skills, your healing, the better it will be for the child. And it's, it's not anybody else. It's not a therapist. It's not a psychiatrist. It's you that that needs to upgrade and and work on yourself. But every parent has that in them. And the message I want to give to parents is that it's in you. And you can be closer to your child. You could be more loving. And you don't have to take your child and say, you know, help my child. You can help your child the best way. And And that's what I want to empower parents. Because I had that personal experience and I realized that I was really the key and the, the, re, the reason that, you know, my children have improved. And if it wasn't for the work that I did and I just kind of denied that I had my own work to do, I don't think my children or me would be in the place we are today. Well, that's so, that's so powerful. Thank you for that. And what about the message to the youth? What What do you want to say to them? Um, I I think as a whole, we have a lot more evolved youth than we have parents. <laughs> I think I think that there's a I think that we're living we're transitioning on this planet to a obligation based living to a desire-based living. We, we used to have to live a certain way um, because we had more limitations. We had to go to get an education, get a job, 
and it was more standardized. But now I think children are realizing that they don't have to obligate themselves to do anything and they can really live in accordance with their desires. And I think that's great. And I think that should be honored. And I think that I see a lot of children who say to their parents, well, I just want to be an entrepreneur and I just want to sell clothes and I just want to run my own bicycle business. And I think that's okay. I think that um, many parents are kind of stuck in an older paradigm. But the truth is, in our society today, we can really do anything. We're limitless because we have all these tools to build businesses. And, and entrepreneurship, in my opinion, should be really encouraged because entrepreneurship is really our personal soul calling to do what we want to do. And messages for the youth is go for your dream yeah, and you can do it no matter what. And I think my role is to kind of help parents navigate that trust and realization that their child is also has it in them and their child knows what they want and to just trust them. So, yeah. We're back to the trust that that's so great. Well, I'm sure a lot of parents saying, how can I get more information or find a conscious provider or go to a conference? Cause I know when I've tried to make referrals, um, it's difficult to find people that uh, have this kind of treatment philosophy. So mm-hmm. give us some clues for our parents. How can they find providers like you um, that can help them you know, be empowered? Sure. So we have a website. It's tealdragon.org, T-E-A-L-D-R-A-G-O-N.org. My contact information is on the website. People can reach out to me via email at tealdragonpractice at gmail.com. And we also host an annual conference called the Cosmic Dragon Conference. Last year's conference could be seen on YouTube. You can just search for Cosmic Dragon Conference 2023. The conference is an opportunity for people to share their stories of resilience, and healing and an opportunity for the members of our conscious provider network to present cases and some of their work in working with families. It's open to the public and we love when people show up in person. It's a beautiful, beautiful unifying event. Uh, The theme this year is love, intimacy and interconnectedness and Many of our conscious providers are going to be presenting there. And so we would love for those interested to attend. And there are also opportunities to sponsor a table and participate in different kind of opportunities and networking opportunities. So if if that interests anyone, they can feel free to reach out. And and where is this conference in Connecticut or... So the conference is going to be in Connecticut in around April. We're still settling on a date, Um, but it's usually around April, May. Uh And um, I like running this conference because it gives people the opportunity to be exposed to 
healing modalities that are a little more unconventional, a little more progressive and holistic that they otherwise might not be exposed to because our conscious provider network is a curated network of conscious providers that love to collaborate and see things from a more broad perspective. And um, if you find us on YouTube at Teal Dragon Healing, you can see the interviews of all of our conscious providers and learn about the modalities that they practice. That's at Teal Dragon Healing on YouTube. And are your conscious providers, um, providers that have worked with you, been trained by you, certified, what makes them a conscious provider? Right. So we have two tiers of, of circles. One is the membership, which is the outer circle. And the membership are people that I have personally vetted, been exposed to their work, and fit the criteria of what we're looking for. Uh, being holistic, compassionate, spiritual, um, invested in empowering the patient as opposed to having this patriarchal approach to to care. And and I've seen that their their work in working with clients. And that's um, great. Now, oh, I'll continue, please. Yeah, no, so they are part of our larger circle of members. And then we also are launching in the next couple of months something called the multi-provider service in which a family can sign up for um, five of us, five providers to get all the services within a three-month period. And that's kind of with one fee structure through the company. And that's a different level called the multi-provider service. Not everybody in the network is part of the multi-provider service, but the mem- the providers in the multi-provider service, I closely collaborate with with your family on your specific needs. And a lot of this treatment can be done online. Is that correct? Yeah, it's all virtual. Um, many of my assessments, I do come to the home for my first assessment generally, because I want to meet the family. I want to understand the home environment. So I do do a home visit. And then I recommend uh, multi, I I recommend, you know, either our parent training, our multi-provider service, medication management or therapy, depending on, you know, what issues I see. And then we, we create a plan and patients can come see me in my office or we can do virtual. I'm generally very flexible with the families. Well, Dr. Blixstein, I'm sorry to say we are out of town. Your information and sharing has been profound. I think going to be very useful for so many of our listeners. And I know I'm, I'm already on the website looking for referral sources for many of my patients as well. So I thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And I'm excited about your dreams and the future moving forward. And thank you for, for what you do and your vision beyond. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Bye-bye for now. Bye.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.